Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.33 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 6th of September, 2022. This is episode 609 of Bitcoin, and we're just going to lay into it, brothers. El Salvador and Bitcoin after Bukele. Let's see what Bitcoin Magazine and Jeremy has to say about this whole thing. I'm not even sure what the thing is, but we're going to find out. Uh, before we begin, though, I do want to remind you, if you want to support the show and things that we do, you know, if you find it, uh, find that you're getting any value of getting the news, even though it is spotty, I know, I get it, lots of stuff going on that I just, I, lo- there's just lots of stuff going on, all right, so that's why this show is spotty, and it's going to continue to be spotty for just a little bit longer, but if you do value getting the news so you ain't got to read it yourself, please consider listening to this podcast via a Podcasting 2.0 app. My favorite right now is the Fountain app. And no, they are not a sponsor of the show. I just like to shill that which I find useful. And being able to stream me Satoshis while I stream you these dulcet tones is one way that you can use the Fountain app and Podcasting 2.0 for the value to value for a value ecosystem. Also, you can do boostograms. Boost. You can boost the show via podcasting 2.0 apps like Fountain App. And I've got a couple right here. We're going to start with letter 6173 at letter 6173 with the Striper Boost, baby. 7,777 sats. If you don't know who Striper is, it's spelled with a Y. Go back and listen to some 80s Christian metal. That's what Striper was all about. And letter says, maximalist content like this is worth much more than most acknowledge. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that letter. 6173. Jory underscore X underscore McKee with a 2000 sap boost says regarding back to school. Were you required to buy extra supplies? I heard that's a current thing. Dude, there has never been a time in my life that when I was going to school or my children have been going to school that I or my parents weren't required to buy a bag full of shit. I ain't lying. If you're from a country where all your school supplies are supplied and you ain't got to do dick, I guess you're kind of lucky. Depends on the school system, however. You know, public schools, depending where you are in the United States, some are better, some are worse. Like my kids' elementary school up here in eastern Washington State, several of the supplies were already, you know, given. Like the pencil box and, you know, a notebook and a couple of other things. They were already in his desk. Uh, which was cool. I've never actually seen that before. Usually we are required to buy 
well, damn near everything. So yes, we are required to buy supplies. And then a 69 sap boost, the sex boost from EF dub seven, F dub seven, uh, with doesn't say anything at all, just 69 Satoshis. And I do appreciate all the boostograms again, fountain app, uh, you can also do it through Breeze Wallet, which has a podcasting app inside of it. And there are several other ones. Like I said, my favorite right now is Fountain. It's kicking ass. So if you want to get a good podcasting 2.0 app, I highly recommend the Fountain app. Now, let's get on to this whole, the hell's going on with El Salvador. <clears throat> it has been wonderful to watch so many people visiting our beautiful country recently. They fall in love with our beaches and our jungles, our volcanoes and our papooses. Eventually every tourist has that moment when they ask themselves, do we really have to go back? And they're only half joking. Those that seriously consider staying, do their research and check out places to live and start to learn a little bit more about the politics of the Western hemisphere's smallest non-island country. Eventually, they find locals to talk to about residency in El Salvador, and when they do, one question comes up in every conversation. What happens when President Bukele leaves office? Can the next president change the Bitcoin law? The short answer is no, but it's worth examining the details to truly understand the political environment here as it relates not only to Bitcoin, but to the broader ambitions of the Salvadoran public. El Salvador has a democratic and representative government, and the power to make changes to the law rests in the hands of the Assembly. When President Bukele first took the highest office in the land in 2019, he wanted the Bitcoin law, but didn't have the votes to pass it until the elections came the next cycle, when the Nuevas Ideas Party won control of the Legislative Assembly in the landslide, showing of support for the various reforms discussed during the previous years, including the Territorial Control Plan, which has made El Salvador safer today than at any other point in history. The Assembly passed the Bitcoin law a little over a year ago, and it would take another legislative action to make any changes. Another politician could very well campaign against the law, but it's hard to imagine anyone rising to the level of popularity that President Bukele has achieved, being the most popular head of state in the world in multiple international polls. With the majority of citizens here associating Bitcoin with the success of the country and its booming tourist economy, any suggestion of change is likely to face an uphill battle, but eventually, President Bukele's time in office will end, and someone new will take the helm. What will their, their priorities be? Nuevas Ideas has an official parliamentary group called Bancada Cyan, for Cyan Beach, from the country's signature color. The idea is to create a bench of leaders in all areas of the governments or government to ensure that there is a succession plan and that the platform of the party is represented across all ministries. The leadership of the bench is populated by well over a dozen young and energetic public servants who came to their offices alongside President Bukele, and many of them have been in his inner circle since his days as mayor of San Salvador and Nuevo Cotlan, a small city just outside San Salvador, before that since 2012. 
Several of them are leading candidates for future roles in the office of the president. The Bankada Cyan are all thoroughly orange-pilled and have been exposed to the idea of Bitcoin as legal tender since as far back as 2017, so they have experienced the roller coaster of adoption, listened to the waves of FUD, and have seen firsthand the success of Bitcoin in their own neighborhoods. As someone on the ground who follows the news here very closely, I think it is unlikely a change will be seriously discussed. And even if it did, the cat is out of the bag, so to speak. More here in El Salvador than anywhere else in the world. So many people have Bitcoin wallets on their phones, and so many businesses are already accepting Bitcoin through professional gateways or custom systems that the circular economy, while still nascent, will continue to grow in the absence of legal protection. New projects on the horizon will only serve to cement Bitcoin's place in the country. The recently announced Surf City Circuit 2 will connect the eastern part of the country, an area that has historically been ignored by previous administrations, to the already popular tourist destinations of La Libertad all the way through El Zante or the Bitcoin Beach. <clears throat> to Ahakachapan, no way I'm pronouncing that correctly, in the far west of the country. Later, the Pacific train will offer even more connectivity, and together with the Pacific airport will lay the groundwork for building Bitcoin City in La Union, overlooking the gorgeous Gulf of Fonseca spotted with lush tropical islands. And when the world has an entire city built on the Bitcoin standard, you'll know the amazing journey we've been on was not only worth it, but that it's totally unstoppable. All right, Jeremy, that's that's nice to know. Um, but that in, in itself, just because somebody wrote it, does not necessarily mean that that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, I expect there to be a push when Bukele leaves office to have the law repealed. I hope Jeremy's correct in that so many people will be like, by, the, by that time, we'll, you know, especially the citizenry, will, will have already been so used to using it that they'll be going, no, 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 I don't think so. But I, I just don't think it's a healthy situation for us as Bitcoiners to just be all rosy about everything, all right? I mean, we, it's like many of us have lost our adversarial thinking nature because that's the way everybody in the space used to be so many people were like trying to figure out how do you screw this up if i was if i wanted to screw bitcoin up how would i do it and a lot of us are not thinking that way any longer and we really need to get that back so how does this get screwed up well there's a paragraph in here somewhere that talks about these all these young people that have been you know like following Bukele and are placed are, are put in positions to where they might be able to take further higher positions in the president's the new president's cabinet or just higher office themselves um you know that Klaus Schwab guy I got a question okay now maybe the young people that are exposed to somebody like Bukele and he may still be a dictator. I'm not sure. I've never met the guy. So I'm just going to not, I'm just not going to go there right now. Maybe he is a good guy. And maybe all these people that are Bukele pilled, all these young people that this paragraph was talking about, maybe they are all orange pilled. And hey, that's great. That's if the guy's good and the ideas are good and wholesome. Right? So why do I even mention Klaus Schwab? Well, his young global leaders, fucking cult of personality 
has caused me the existence of that thing has caused me the question or the to posit a, po- a possible answer to this question that keeps going around. Why are all these governments doing the things that always result in the worst possible outcome? Is It's like they don't read history. So I posit this answer. Now, I don't know. This is just complete gut and it's complete tinfoil hattery. Okay, so be prepared. Put on your tinfoil hat and just listen to the possibility. People can be hypnotized. People can also be brainwashed. We saw that in, uh, what was it, Guy, Guyana with Jim Jones. And, you know, like they knew, if, this is what blew my mind is that now it appears, or not now, but I learned that it appears that the cult that he was running knew that there was cyanide in the Kool-Aid that they were going to drink and drank the fucking shit anyway because they were in a cult. They were brainwashed that way. They were possibly hypnotized. I don't know how these quote-unquote cults get this way, but if if a group like the Guiana people under Jim Jones back in, I think it was late 70s, uh, 78 or something like that is when all that shit happened. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of people. It wasn't just tens. He built a whole fucking city, and they all died, and they all knew they were going to die. And it's just amazing that, that there wasn't a single person amongst them that said, yeah, I don't really want to die. I'm, I, I, I got to get the hell out of here, man. I, I got to go and jump the fence or whatever he had. I don't know. If it can happen once, if it can happen twice, if it can happen three times, why is it that nobody is even thinking about the possibility that Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum is in fact itself a cult, a very, very successful cult? a very, very powerful cult and that they've been brainwashing these young global leaders of which like Justin Trudeau is a perfect example. He was a young global leader years ago and now he's prime minister of Canada doing shit that is very reflective of a whole bunch of other world leaders and a whole bunch of other countries that were, you guessed it, all world, young world global or whatever, young global leaders. And, and they've been placed in position of power. If you wanted to gain control of the whole world, what would you do? I'd send out a shit ton of drones that carry nothing but my message to become president or prime minister or whatever in every country in the world. And, and, and know that I've thoroughly brainwashed these people with the worst possible message for humanity ever. Okay, taking the tinfoil hat off, we've got other fish to fry. Let's do this one from, oh, for God's sakes, this one from Cointelegraph. Far too easy, crypto researchers, fake Ponzi raises $100,000 in hours. Brian Quarmby is going to tell us about it. Crypto influencer Fat Man Terra claims to have gathered over $100,000 worth of Bitcoin from crypto investors in an investment scheme that was later revealed as fake. The crypto researcher said he created the fake investment scheme as an experiment and to teach people a lesson about blindly following the investment advice of influencers. The account on Twitter has around 101,100 followers and is mostly known for being a former Terra proponent that now actively speaks out against the project and founder Du Quan following its $40 billion collapse in May. 
In a Monday tweet, Fat Man Terra told his followers he had received access to a high-yield BTC farm by an unnamed fund and said that people could message him if they wanted in on the yield farming opportunity. Quote, I've maxed out what I could. <clears throat> Sorry, I've maxed out what I could, so there's some leftover allocation, and I thought I'd pass it along. Priority will be given to UST victims. DM for more details if interested, he wrote. While the post received a ton of negative responses from people calling it out as a scam, Fat Man said he still managed to raise more than $100,000 worth of Bitcoin from the initial post on Twitter and on Discord within a span of, get this, two hours. $100,000 in two, that's 50 grand an hour, ladies and gentlemen. That's some pretty high pay. That's some pretty high pay indeed. In a Tuesday tweet, Fat Man Terra revealed the investment scheme was fake all along, describing it as an awareness campaign to show how easy it is to dupe people into crypto by using simple buzzwords and promising big investment returns. Quote, while I used plenty of buzzwords and put on a very convincing act on all platforms, I made sure to keep the investment details intentionally obscure. I didn't name the fund. I didn't describe the trade. No one knew where the yield was coming from, but people still invested, end quote. Further quote, I want to send a clear, strong message to everyone in the crypto world. Anyone offering you, or sorry, offering to hand you free money is lying. It simply doesn't exist. Your favorite influencer selling you quick money trading, coaching, or offering a golden investment opportunity is scamming you, he added. <laughs> it is far too easy to scam people in crypto, and this needs to change. If you don't understand where the yield is coming from, you are the yield. Listen carefully to the vocal critics of any project or investment before getting involved. You need to really listen, end quote. Fat Man Terra claims to have now refunded all of the money and reiterated that free lunches don't exist. The notion of influencers allegedly promoting scams has been in the news as of late, with YouTuber Ben Armstrong, a bit boy crypto, taking legal action against content creator at, at Atozy, yeah, A-T-O-Z-Y, last month, and accusing him of promoting dubious tokens to his audiences. However, he has since withdrawn the lawsuit. Fat Man Terra also stated that his fake fund post was inspired by the Lady of Crypto Twitter account, which has been accused of shilling questionable investment schemes to its 257,500 followers. Okay. It would, what do you think about it? If indeed, let's say it, it is in case the, uh, 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 a fact that Fat Man Terra has indeed given all of the money back. Do you think that this was an honorable use of his time? Do you think that it imparted the lesson that needed to be imparted? Sure, it's easy for us to say, oh, it's still bad. No matter how you cut it, it's bad. We can go the other direction. It's good, no matter how you slice it. I mean, in, in justifies the means. As long as somebody got, you know, so close to the fire of losing their Bitcoin and all of a sudden it was returned to it, how can, how can that not be good? Dudes, I, my dudes, I am so on the fence on this one. It's not even funny. What if, and see, here's the thing about doing this kind of thing. What if Fat Man Terra 
fully intended to execute this thing as a almost gotcha moment to really teach people about the scams in this space of which there are, well, this, this, this space is almost completely scammed. Let's be very honest with ourselves. Only Bitcoin matters. But let's say that then he collected up $100,000. And then the second that he's about to, you know, tweet out that it was all fake and it was just a lesson, he gets a phone call. And it so happens that he needs $100,000 to make that phone call go away. I don't know. Maybe it's the IRS. Maybe it's a guy threatening him. I, maybe it's blackmail. I don't. It doesn't matter what it is. Let's just say that that phone call is going to cost $100,000. What happens then? Does fat man Tara still give it back? This clearly, this is just pure conjecture, but I'm saying these types of things can turn very dangerous very quickly. I recommend to everybody to not do this. Don't do it. I, I, it's a, I just give you this warning out of the, the depths of my respect for you, out of the depths of my heart, uh, because this kind of shit can turn, go south in a blink of an eye. Now, luckily it didn't happen this time. Now that said, thank God that he was able to give it, that he did give it back, that he intended to give it back and he executed the giving, the giving it back, or at least so far as I know, according to this coin telegraph piece, he gave it all back minus fees, obviously. And that by itself raises another question. But again, we got other fish to fry because down there in Russia, they're going to legalize the use of cryptocurrency in international trade, or at least so according to some report or something or other. This is Namsios out of Bitcoin Magazine. The Bank of Russia and the country's Ministry of Finance have reconsidered their positions towards cryptocurrency, acknowledging it as to be necessary in legalizing the use of cryptocurrencies in cross-border settlements per report by local news outlet TASS. According to TASS, the two crypto or sorry, government bodies have agreed that it is impossible to continue without enabling cryptocurrency as a legal payment method for international trade. The move comes as Russia dabbles on how to best regulate the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency markets. Swamped in Western sanctions, the world's largest country has sought alternatives to the U.S. dollar so as to guarantee the efficient trade of its commodities. In March, the chairman of the country's Congressional Energy Committee, Pavel Zelvalny, said that the country was open to taking payments for natural gas and other natural resources exports in Bitcoin. Quote, when it comes to our friendly countries like China or Turkey, which don't pressure us, then we have been offering them for a while to switch payments to national currencies like rubles and yuan. With Turkey, it can be lira and rubles. So there can be a variety of currencies, and that's a standard practice. If they want Bitcoin, we will trade in Bitcoin, end quote, Zavalny said at the time in May. It was reported that Russia was actively discussing using cryptocurrency in international trade. Now, the imminent actualization of such a move shifts the tide as President Vladimir Putin last year had dismissed the possibility in an interview at the Russian Energy Week event in Moscow. Quote, I believe that it has value, Putin said at the time, referring to Bitcoin, but I don't believe it can be used in the oil trade, end quote. According to TASS, the necessary regulatory framework to enable cross-border settlement in cryptocurrency in Russia will still be introduced. So 
This reminds me a lot of the early days of crypto in India, where they just never could figure out what the hell they were doing. I, I expect more from Russia. I mean, you may hate Russia, you may love Russia, you may just like Russia or just mentally put up with Russia. But in the at the end of the day, I I think that it's I think it's just it's just I find it distressing that something like Russia is acting in sort of taking the same footsteps that India has been taking where they're just flip-flopping around on the issue. Make a decision and go with it. It's like being at the checkout stand with your kid and they're like, they want, I don't know, like, you know, I don't get my kids candy bars very often, but every once in a while they'll go, can we get like a Reese's cup? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then like, you know, one of my kids is like, ah, you know, standing until the very last minute and then, the, you know, just about to check out. And then they go, oh, I've changed my mind. I got five people behind me with fucking grocery carts. And this is when they need to go back to the damn candy aisle to go figure out what it is they really want. And like, and I'm, I'm an asshole when it, when it comes down to this. And I, I don't know why they haven't learned it yet. Maybe one of these days they will, but I'm like, no, you picked that. That's what you're getting. If you wanted to change your mind, you should have done it way long ago. I mean, like I said, I'm kind of a dick about that kind of thing, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to hold up five people with baskets because you couldn't make up your mind. This is the same shit. Pick a path, either accept Bitcoin or don't accept Bitcoin and go with it and see which path. I mean, it's one of two paths. They will, they, they both end in destinations. One could be good. One could be bad. You don't know, but you've got to pick the road to follow. And Russia flip-flopping like this is honestly kind of embarrassing. At least it's not at least it's not this bad. Turner Wright from Cointelegraph says Bitcoiner sentenced to federal prison. He warns users involved in OTC trading. Mm-hmm. Mark Alexander Hopkins, also known by the moniker Dr. Bitcoin on their handle Risen, has claimed that, that transacting Bitcoin P2P is a federal crime after announcing the sentence in their case to social media followers. In a Sunday Twitter thread, Hopkins said that they were facing between 6 and 15 months at a federal correctional institution in Texas following a guilty plea for allegedly operating a crypto business without the necessary licensing. According to Risen, the United States Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, used a 2019 interpretation of a law, 18 U.S.C. 1960, originally enacted in 1992 to charge them with illegally operating a money transmitting business. Quote, this means that anytime anyone with the crypto trades P2P, i.e. not with an exchange, they're legally liable under this statute as it's currently interpreted. In practice, this is a catch-all law. I was originally suspected of being a kingpin in this particular scam, and when it was clear that I was not, they were able to easily build a case that I had not registered federally before selling my Bitcoin. The Bitcoiner, who said they joined the space in 2011, claimed that they were one of hundreds of thousands of OTC traders, that's over-the-counter, in 2019 amid a bad actor involved in an illegal lottery scheme using the trading group to launder funds with Bitcoin purchases. 
Risen claimed to facilitate fiat to crypto exchanges on behalf of the party who they hinted did not know was being investigated for a crime resulted in being targeted by U.S. authorities. Quote, I cooperated fully with the 15 armed FBI agents who raided my home in October of 2019. I wasn't able to find a crypto fluent attorney after I was raided in 2020. I was told that if I plead to the 18 USC 1960 charge, any actions against my family would be dropped. This is starting to smell like bullshit, guys. According to Risen, they were fully registered as a Bitcoin seller with FinCEN, but the Justice Department still targeted them based on their involvement in the illicit transactions. Acting U.S. Attorney Parak Shah said at the time that Hopkins ignored federal law and allowed fraudsters to use Bitcoin to operate under the radar of law enforcement and did not take steps to verify the source of the funds involved in the transactions between $550,000 and $1.5 million at the time. Risen has disputed many of the Justice Department's claims, saying they performed the proper know-your-customer and anti-money laundering practices. Here's the thing that makes this important to pay attention to and resolve. I'm a nobody, said Risen. Quote, I'm not Ross. I wasn't on the dark web. I'm not Edward Snowden. I didn't work for the NSA, and I'm not Julian Assange. I didn't break national secrets. I'm just a regular Bitcoiner caught in the crosshairs. I'm a patsy, bro. I'm just a patsy. Prior to entering prison, the Bitcoiner called for regulatory clarity between the state and federal levels of the United States, seemingly in an effort to ensure that other crypto users do not face the same enforcement action. Quote, in much the same way that the feds and states differ on cannabis usage, the feds and the states are at odds about P2P crypto usage, said Risen. Delaware, Texas, and Wyoming are actively promoting P2P crypto usage in such a way that they're manufacturing hundreds of thousands of felons just like me every day. There needs to be A, clarity on how to be as compliant as possible, and B, ideally a rollback on the overreaching guidance in the first place, end quote. FinCEN leveled similar charges against a California resident in April 2019, alleging they willfully violated money transmission laws while working as a P2P exchanger of crypto and fiat. However, the accused in that case faced only a $35,000 fine and was barred from similar financial activities, not prison time. Uh, I smell a turd. I, I smell, I, I, Turner, I like most of your stuff, but I think something is very, very much wrong with the person that the this risen guy that is um uh supposedly in trouble ah it okay here it is <clears throat> if i go to i don't know hoddle hoddle or um oh what's the other one oh there's another uh, p2p exchange and i just exchange some coins with some other person no i don't think that you've been turned into a felon now if you facilitate the trading of several trades and you act as the intermediary for several people, then you are in fact acting as a money launderer or not a money launderer. I'm sorry, a money transmitter. And you're going to be in the crosshairs. Like if I got 15 people and say, Hey, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. And I'm, I'm too, I'm too lazy to figure it out all by myself. Uh, will you do the trades for me? My answer is fucking no. No, I'm not going to do the trades for you. A, that's not the point of all this. Self-custody and taking matters into your own hand is generally the point of Bitcoin. When you get right down to the base layer of what this is, it's 
personal responsibility. No, I'm not going to trade for you. If you want to trade, that's your responsibility. If I gather up 15 people and I do trades for them, I'm effectively acting as a goddamn trading desk and I'm going to get popped. This is phrased in a way that all these people that are being quote unquote, uh, oh, encouraged to, to do P2P trades in Wyoming, Delaware, and Texas, and they're turning us all into felons. That is not correct. That is FUD. And that's when I started smelling the real bullshit of this story. I think it's a FUD piece. I don't think Turner Wright understands that it's a FUD piece. I think that the Risen guy is basically being told by the feds, you put this narrative out there or it's not going to be six to 18 months, brother. It's going to be six to 18 fucking years and you're going to stay there and you're going to rot. So you need to make sure that you put the fear of God into people that are just doing a single trade by themselves with one other person and they're not actually acting or taking part in a trading desk situation. That's what I got to say about that. Hey, brothers and sisters, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities oil West Texas intermediate down 0.06% after falling on its ass yesterday or not yesterday, uh, but over the weekend and Friday, we see a fairly large, not collapse, but a, a depression in the oil prices, which is why OPEC cut their production 100,000 barrels a month. Uh, I think they announced that shit yesterday because they were quote unquote dissatisfied with the price of oil. But West Texas Intermediate right now trading $86.85 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down a full, but it's down a full 3% today uh, to $92.87. Natural gas has fallen uh, five and a third percent, but it is still clocking in at $8.31 per thousand cubic feet, which is a high gas. I'm used to a buck 40 to 250. That's what I've been used to for years. These prices are, are insane. Gasoline, $2.45 after a third of a point drop. Uh, shiny metal rocks are eh, mostly up, kind of mixed. Gold's down half point uh, at seventeen hundred and twelve bucks. Silver is up a third of a point to almost eighteen dollars an ounce. Platinum is up almost two points. Copper is up a point and a half, and palladium has fallen by over two point five percent. Uh, agricultural futures likewise fairly mixed. Uh, no great movers here. The biggest loser is chocolate at one. 0.82% to the downside and the biggest winner looks to be corn at 1.46% to the upside. Dow down 0.16%. S&P is down 0.04. NASDAQ down 0.25. S&P mini down 0.3. I still think everybody's waiting on FOMAC, which I don't think has actually happened yet, but we'll, we'll see what happens with, uh, whether or not Jerome Powell's hawkish stance is going to be instantiated, we'll find out this next FOMAC. I guarantee it. $19,768.30 is the price of Bitcoin right now. 10,896 transactions every hour on the hour with 3.24 million BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's 135,300 Bitcoin sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 12.42 
Bitcoin and a median transaction value of 0.023 Bitcoin or $461. Block times are low, nine minutes and 28 seconds. We have a 0.09 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 13.73 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With an 8.14% drop in hash rate, we're still at 232.53 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator as usual is Doge at 6.2 United States pennies. And just like United States pennies, they ain't worth shit. 2,542 transactions are waiting on four blocks to clear. We got a $369.3 billion market cap, which is three and a quarter percent of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 11.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,143,004.67 in circulation. 4,679.3 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $90.3 million with being run over 17,249 nodes sporting 85,357 payment channels. And 71% of all of that is being run over the Tor side of the Lightning Network. And that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the snooze that you can use. Human Rights Foundation donates 325,000 in BTC for human, no, human development. Well, kind of. Bitcoin development. $325,000 donated by HRF to NBTC for Bitcoin development. Let's make sure I get that shit straight. This is Sean Amick writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Human Rights Foundation has announced its latest round of donations, totaling 325000 in BTC uh, dollars. That's $325,000 in Bitcoin, focused on furthering key elements of the Bitcoin ecosystem per a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. With this round of Bitcoin donations, HRF is focusing on censorship resistance, open source custody solutions, Bitcoin core development, Chami and eCash, and education across the globe. The largest contribution of $100,000 goes to, ding, 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 BTC Pay Server, an open source Bitcoin payments processor. The software enables users across the globe to accept Bitcoin payments from anyone, enabling the use of a censorship resistant form of money with relative privacy. This particular donation was made in partnership with Strike's affiliated nonprofit per the release. Additionally, Two donations of $50,000 each will be allocated to John Attack and Josh Kitman. Attic, or sorry, John Attack is a core developer continuously reviewing and working to improve Bitcoin, while Kitman is working on Fediment, a Chami and eCash solution for Bitcoin. A $25,000 donation to Keith Mukai is meant to further his work on SeedSigner, an offline air-gapped Bitcoin hardware wallet. In addition to research and development, Mukai will build out multilingual support for right-to-left languages such as Arabic and Hebrew. 
Lee Kuhn is receiving $25,000 in grants for her work in developing a Bitcoin donation guide for nonprofits. The guide walks uh, non-governmental organizations, state institutions, and activists on how to accept donations in Bitcoin and is set to release next month in partnership with the Bitcoin Policy Institute. Beyond the individual developers, RoboSats, an open-source peer-to-peer lightning exchange, will receive $25,000 for continual deployment or development, offering multilingual support and build-out guides for the product. Furthermore, Novaya Gazeta, an independent Russian news outlet focused on investigative reporting on Russian politics and society, will also receive $25,000 in donations. The funding will enable the outlet to explore the relationship between cryptocurrency and human rights as it relates to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Finally, the Vituum Initiative, a nonprofit Bitcoin research and development center, will receive the last $25,000 for its educational seminars, fellowships, and grants used to support and build Bitcoin developers in Brazil. The HRF has donated over $1.5 million in BTC and USD over the past two years to further Bitcoin development across the world and will announce its next round of donations in January of 2023. Holy shit, you guys just don't stop. That is so cool. But what's really cool here is that my node is releasing 0.3.0 along with uh, some other major updates. Let's talk about it. It's being written by, oh, for the, by, by Bitcoin News from, you guessed it, bitcoinnews.com. We are incredibly excited to announce our latest major node release version 0.3.0. Apparently they're lifting this directly from the my node uh, blog post, whatever. This has been in the works since early in the year and offers a number of new apps and features as well as some major behind the scenes updates. Here are the highlights, the marketplace. The most notable new feature in the application mark is the application marketplace. After upgrading, a new tile will appear on the MyNode homepage. After opening the marketplace, you will be presented with information on all the applications available on the MyNode platform, descriptions, screenshots, authors, web links, and more. To get more information, click on an application to get more details. All apps are available for installation with a single click. Software development kit number two. A new software development kit has been released alongside this new MyNode release. The SDK is a tool that allows developers to easily build apps so they can be run on MyNode and shared with the community. A separate open source project has been launched with information on how to use the SDK and is available on GitHub and they provide a link. Any applications built with the SDK can be submitted to MyNode to be included in future releases or manually shared with community members for installation via the community app section in the marketplace. And finally, Premium Plus Service. The last major addition in version 0.3.0 is the inclusion of a new service to get more out of your node, Premium Plus. Premium Plus offers a number of additional benefits to subscribers, extended support, lightning watchtower, remotely monitor your node via mynodebtc.com. Over time, more features will be added to Premium Plus with the goal being similar or sorry, simpler remote access and management of your node, and we hope you enjoy enjoy on blah 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 so that's that's it for the announcement but yeah my node version 0.3.0 out now um i'm super excited about this one because 
that's what I use. I use my node. A lot of people like Umbral. A lot of people like uh, Raspy Blitz. I get it. You got your shit. You're going to stick with it. That's okay. Not trying to get anybody to convert over. But if you are a MyNode user, be aware they have released uh, 0.3.0. Also be aware, just because you can upgrade to a thing does not necessarily mean you should upgrade to that thing. Let a little bit of time go by. Let 0.3.0 burn in. Let's see if there's any bugs. And then maybe in three months, maybe sooner, I don't know, I'll consider it, but I'm not going to upgrade just because I can. I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna make sure that nothing gets set on fire, right? And, and I highly recommend that you do the same. However, pretty cool, not my node, congratulations guys. HUD 8 surpasses 8,000 BTC as it continues to hodl, even though it's a bear market. Gareth Jenkinson from Cointelegraph.com's got it. Canadian mining firm HUD8 saw its Bitcoin holdings surpass 8,000 Bitcoin mark as it continues to accumulate self-mined holdings through depressed cryptocurrency market conditions. HUD8 released its latest mining report for August 2022, which showed that it had increased its Bitcoin holdings by 375 Bitcoin for the month to take its total reserves to 8,111 BTC. The mining firm reported <clears throat> that it had mined 12.1 BTC per day at a rate of 125.8 BTC per exahash for the month. While other mining operators have been forced to sell portions of their BTC holdings amid the ongoing cryptocurrency bear market, HUT8 has managed to continue its self-described long-standing HODL strategy and still holds all of its mined BTC. HUT8 also announced that it had installed 180 NVIDIA GPUs at its main data center in Kelowna, Canada, which is actually not too far away from where I'm living nowadays, even though I'm not in Canada, but... Washington State is on the border of Canada and Kelowna is right up there. The center currently mines uh, Ether, but with the merge set to take place in September of 2022, its GPU mining equipment will be used to provide artificial intelligence, machine learning, or VFX rendering services. HUT-8 also has continued increasing its mining capacity with the acquisition of Chinese ASIC MicroBT miners. The firm paid $58.7 million for 12,000 new MicroBT M3 30s and M30s's plus and M30s's plus plus miners in October of 2021 and has received orders of 1,000 machines monthly through 2022. Industry experts have warned of the potential implications of Ethereum's merge on other cryptocurrencies that run on proof-of-work consensus algorithms. Once Ethereum transitions to the proof-of-stake operated beacon chain, many miners that secured the Ethereum blockchain will be looking to other proof-of-work chains to continue mining. Ethereum Classic saw its token value increase by more than 10% in early September as blockchain explorer and mining pool operator BTC.com launched an ETC pool featuring zero fee mining over a three month period. Yeah, well, fuck that entire thing. Um, <clears throat> you know, I just, do I have it here? Yeah, let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, this is what, one of the things that I had posited about this whole proof of stake merge for Ethereum is that I just think what's going to happen is that um, it's just going to split. They're going to merge their chain 
and there's going to be a split right at the merge and people are going to continue to mine a version of Ethereum. Now, of course, it won't be the official version of Ethereum because apparently if you've got all the Ethereum like Joseph Lubin and Vitalik Buterin and the rest of the Hitler Youth, uh, you can pretty much tell anybody in the world what the real coin is. And apparently you can tell them how much of it that they have. Because if you're the validator, then you get to validate the transactions, which means that you're in control of people's coin. So you're actually validating what you think they should have as coinage, as a, an amount of ether. I know that sounds convoluted, but when you get right down to it, that's what's going on. Vitalik Buterin and Joseph Lubin and the rest of their, their cabal is going to be able to tell you how much ether you own. Not how much you bought, not how much you think you have. No, they're going to tell you how much they're going to allow you to own. And if you think that that's an acceptable situation in today's day and time, then you deserve all the chains that are going to be put upon you, whether it be Fauci, masks, getting shots, can't travel, what food you're going to eat because you're going to eat the bugs. They're going to tell you what kind of money you have and how much of it you have. That, if you want to live that way, man, you go right ahead. You go, go, go with God, my son. But it's going to be bad and it's not going to end well. And here's an example of where some of this stuff is going. It's possible that they just go and start mining Ethereum Classic. Because indeed, Ethereum Classic has jumped nearly 12%. As hash rate hits an all-time high. Yeah, I know. I hear you screaming, David. Stop talking about shit coins. Dude, there's nothing else right now to talk about. I mean, we've covered all the really cool shit for Bitcoin. We got to cover like one more thing about Singapore, but we're, we've got to deal with this September merge. We got to deal with it because we, we're going to get FUD. What do you think is going to happen? We're going to get it all, boys and girls. We might as well know what all of it is about. So Sujithi Samaraj is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. Of course it's Decrypt. Number one shitcoin magazine in the world. Ethereum Classic, a hard fork of Ethereum, executed following the 2016 DAO hack, hit an all-time record hash rate of 48.82 terahashes per second yesterday per data from two miners. ETC, the native token of the Ethereum Classic Network, has since jumped nearly 12% over the past 24 hours and trades at around $35.60, according to data from CoinMarketCap. The coin has surged over 60% in the last 90 days from $21 to 35 bucks. Hash rate is the total computational power used to mine and process transactions on a blockchain network. And over the past month, Ethereum Classic's hash rate has increased by 62% from 30.08 terahashes on August the 6th to its all-time high on Sunday. Stepping back even further, and the figures are even more dramatic, the hash rate growth over the past 12 months is a whopping 105%. The higher the metric, the safer the blockchain, as hash, high hash rate requires immensely high computational power to com compromise the network via a 51% attack. In August of 2020, for example, Ethereum Classic suffered its third 51% attack when the total hash rate was 2.9 terahashes per second. Since then, the hash rate has increased by 1,606%, securing the network more than ever. 
Apart from hash rate, ETC's mining difficulty reached an all-time high of 626.02 terahashes yesterday per data from two miners. The mining difficulty, <coughs> excuse me, pardon me, mining difficulty shows the number of times a miner calculates the hash to mine new coins. Increased mining difficulty is associated with a growing miner network. The primary reason behind the increasing mining activity on Ethereum Classic can likely be attributed to the upcoming Ethereum merge later this month. The merge event will transition the network from a proof of work consensus to a proof of work, sorry, proof of stake consensus to reduce its carbon footprint and improve its efficiency. They actually write proof of work consensus to a proof of work consensus. Y'all need an editor. The merge will can make can current mining hardware deployed by crypto mining companies obsolete, forcing them to look for alternatives like Ethereum Classic, which continue to operate under traditional mining mechanisms. In July, the crypto mining platform Antpool added a $10 million backing for Ethereum Classic to back its proof of work consensus. All right, so the question is when this merge happens, and I don't know if it'll be successful, but it is going to happen. It could completely fall on its ass. We don't know. We got to actually wait until it happens. But that's the thing is it's going to happen. Now, if it completely fails and it's a it, like it's a it's a catastrophic failure and they can extricate themselves from that catastrophe by going back to proof of work mining, then the Ethereum miners that are doing proof of work mining today will just continue mining that chain. Guarantee it. If there is not a catastrophe and the merge happens and we don't know if it's successful like we don't let's say it looks successful for like a month you know maybe like two months well then the proof of work miners are going to go somewhere else and i just don't see in this cesspool of all of shit coins altcoins and like it's just like 2017 i think it's less likely not 100% you know less likely but at least a little less likely that the people turn their machines to mine proof of work shit coins i think one of two things will happen actually i think one thing will happen i think at least half of the miners will migrate and just mine ethereum classic because it's got some manner of network effect Right, it's still a shit coin. Don't yell at me. It's still a shit coin, but it's been around since 2016, and a lot of Bitcoiners at the time. And this is true. It doesn't matter who you were. You, most of the Bitcoiners that I know that are old school were applauding the Ethereum Classic people, if only for a little while, because the DAO hack and the rolling back of the Ethereum blockchain was so distasteful that we had no problem giving at least a golf clap to the Ethereum Classic people for saying, no, we're going to continue with the Ethereum chain as is, no rollback, the thief gets his money, we're just going to live with it. And they've been rolling since 2016. So I get the feeling that half of the Ethereum miners that are mining Ethereum today or mining Ether today are going to go over and join the Ethereum Classic thing. The other half are going to split or fork the chain and just continue mining what they're mining right now, but they'll have to give it another name and they'll have to do all that stuff. Or there's possi the possibility of them folding their, selling their GPUs 
uh, or helping to support uh, these AI, like where you put in some uh, words like, you know, uh, tree, red, ocean, and <clears throat> an AI paints you a picture of a red tree by an ocean or something like that. Uh, I could see that being a beneficiary of the GPU mining, but that's not why they bought the GPU miners in the first place. All right. And there's right now, there's no money in the uh, AI art world. Not right now, but I guarantee you there will be. But that comes later, much later. Right now, I think Ethereum Classic is the winner. With the hash rate that they already have, the fact that they've been rolling since 2016, these miners, they're, they don't get to do proof of stake. Unless, well, I'm sure they, they probably do if they've been saving their Ethereum and then, then they went ahead and stashed it or stacked it or whatever the hell they call it for being able to be a validator node. Um, if they did that, then they'll be able to do it. But they're still going to find something to do with their machines. And most people like to hedge their bets. And they're going to hedge their bets with Ethereum Classic. That's just a prediction. I don't know. I don't know anybody at Ethereum Classic. I've never talked to any of those dudes. Have no idea even their, who they are, what their names are. But I get the feeling that that, in fact, is going to be what happens. Now, Singapore. Uh, Singapore's largest bank to expand Bitcoin crypto services amid the bear market. This is out of Bitcoin Magazine and being written by who? By Sean Amick. DBS Group Holding, Singapore's largest bank, is looking to expand its Bitcoin and cryptocurrency services to 300,000 of its wealthiest users per report from the Financial Times. Of course, it's the wealthiest. It's not the fucking, it's not us plebs, whatever. In particular, DBS wants to expand its existing digital asset exchange to these larger clients, which currently boast nearly 1,000 users. The bank's targeted clientele in Asia consists of private banks, accredited investors, and other exchanges, all of which can manage funds through the bank's mobile application. Oh God, dude, I don't want my exchange using... No, that's, I hope that's just a, a, a weird grammatical error. I won't get into what I'm thinking about, but I just, it just seems like, a, 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 like my exchange, like if I have money on an exchange and I find out that my exchange is managing their, the exchange's funds through a bank's mobile application, I don't know, man, it don't seem safe, but whatever. Anyway, DBS plans to upgrade its app, allowing clients to also manage digital assets. Indeed, DBS said an updated version of the app will make the process less clunky and enable the necessary scalability to support a larger user base per the report. Payush Gupta, the bank CEO, explained that the market downtrend influenced the bank's decision to expand its infrastructure due to a need for consumer protections. DBS believes the ecosystem needs established and regulated institutions offering more services rather than startup companies. On the one hand, we want to be a global hub, Gupta said per report. On the other hand, we're also very worried about our domestic population getting burned with the speculative asset classes. Gupta concluded his comments by sharing that the bank's exchange has seen a doubling of transactions this year from April to June. Even more impressive, Bitcoin transactions have quadrupled in the same time period. In July, the Monetary Authority of Singapore alluded to an upcoming framework for the digital asset industry. So there you go. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right. Dad says jokes. What do lawyers wear to work? 
lawsuits. If you want to support the show 2.0, no, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. Fountain app is my favorite. Just use it, boost it, stream it, and stream me Satoshis, and all will be well with the world. See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.